Welcome to Conversational Leadership with Jay Mann. Today, we have a slight departure from our normal leadership conversations because we have a very special guest, Dr. Larissa Pombo, who is Creighton School District's Director of Curriculum, Instruction, and Assessment. And she's here with us today to talk a little bit about the DataWise process that Creighton has embarked upon to ensure student outcomes uh, that are positive in the areas of academic growth, achievement, and improvement. And so with that, I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Pombo to share a little bit about herself. Thank you, Superintendent Mann. My name is Dr. Larissa Pombo, and this is my 26th year in education. I've served as a fifth grade teacher, an instructional coach, an assistant principal, and a principal. I've also um, worked in the charter school system as well, working with uh, school principals and instructional coaches. And I'm excited to be here in Creighton as the new director of curriculum, instruction, and assessment. Wonderful. Well, I know we're very excited to have you here. And we're very excited for your leadership thus far on the DataWise process. And so I've had the great pleasure to sort of sit in the back of the room and observe as you and your team, who seems highly energized by embarking mm -hmm. upon this work with, with our leadership team, um, have really kind of led us through understanding not only the DataWise process, but how it's going to help us move student achievement forward. And so I thought today we could take some time and have a little bit of a conversation, go through the basics, uh, go through the different phases, because I know there's different mm -hmm. phases uh, to the process, and give everyone who's listening to this conversation an opportunity to understand a little bit of the work that we're embarking upon. So um, why don't we go ahead and start off, if you could give us just a quick, like, two-minute overview of what the DataWise process is and, and why we're taking on this process. Well, I am really excited to share with you about the DataWise process. And the DataWise process is a systematic way to make data-informed decision-making using a collaborative school team approach. And it has three phases. The first phase is the prepare phase, and this is where our teams begin laying a foundation for engaging in collaborative work. Then the second phase is the inquiry phase, where we identify specific challenges we're facing, um, our learners are facing, and also our teams at our schools are facing, um, to examine the efficacy of, their, of our own practices. And then lastly, the ACT phase is once we identify um, our student learning problem and also our problem of practice as leaders and as teachers and instructional staff, then we figure out how we're going to address the problem. And we create the ACT phase is where we adopt practices most likely to address the challenges that we're facing. Wonderful. That I mean, what's nice about that is it's not only a clear-cut process, but it puts people in a position to be able to work through the various uh, portions of problem identification before mm -hmm. getting to problem solution, right? Because mm -hmm. very often, and I heard you share this with the group at one point um, as you were doing training with us, and it, it really sat with me, we often leap to making assumptions about what the root cause problems are and trying to solve them without really drilling down and identifying them first. And it sounds like this data-wise process is a tool set that will help us avoid doing that and making those missteps and help us really be much more effective at identifying mm -hmm. what the actual problems are that are preventing the outcomes that we're looking for. Mm -hmm. 
And that's why that first um, phase that, you know, developing a collaborative team is so important because this is all of us working together. It's not any one specific problem or any one specific fault, but we're looking at our specific data to figure out what do we need to do so that we can um, solve this problem together and help our students be successful and meet all of their needs and also our teachers' needs um, to be have effective instruction. Yeah, that's that's actually wonderful. I mean, it aligns with... Um, a philosophy that that I really believe in, which is that none of us is as smart as all of us. Mm -hmm. So by focusing in on collaboration first and making sure we're bringing the team together to work together, you're also establishing the baseline that nobody's doing this in isolation. We're mm -hmm. working as a team. And teaching is sort of in the past, hopefully we're changing this, but it used to feel like a lonely profession to me, right? Mm -hmm. you, you lock yourself in a room, 900 square foot room, with you know 30 something kids right mm -hmm. and then you're in there until the bell rings or maybe you get a break for lunch um, and so you're kind of on your own and that's really you know over the last 20 years that i've been exposed to sort of shifts that's really not the direction we've been moving with things like plcs and the four questions and all mm -hmm. of these types of things and so um, data wise feels like it not only gives us great tool sets for looking at instruction but it's also setting us up to do that looking at instruction as that collaborative team. So mm -hmm. that's that's really great. Yes. So um, moving forward from working together as a collaborative team, you know, clearly phase one is really important. Where do we move on to from there? So currently we're in phase two because we just right. finished our benchmark assessment. So we're going to be examining our um, how our students did from the first assessment, the pretest, and into our you know our first benchmark. And we'll be looking at that data and just looking at the data of of how our students did, and from there um, determining what areas we need to look at more closely. Like for instance, if they're not getting a certain vocabulary, or look at the tests specifically to see what areas they need more support in, and then coming up with a plan of how to address our. Um, instruction to meet the needs of the students based on the benchmark assessment. So that's yeah. our second step. The other thing that we're working on at the same time simultaneously, you've seen us, um, Dr. Dupin, myself, and some of the coordinators on campus doing walkthroughs, um, looking at instruction so that we can support all of our schools and finding trends across our nine schools. So that could also determine our professional development to support our teachers, our instructional staff to help the students meet their growth goals. And as you know, our growth goal is 10% for every student will grow on our benchmark assessments. And then our instructional goal is that all of us will improve in learning targets, success criteria, engagement and rigor in the classroom. So that's our focus as our, our leadership team of principals and instructional coaches and as teachers. And I know this is an audio podcast, so people can't see it. Yes. But you also have all of us. I felt my hands starting to move <laughs> because you have us in this wonderful habit of we throw both hands up to make mm -hmm. five and five for that 10. And yes. we have sort of this kinesthetic and visual way of representing that 10% mm -hmm. while at the same time verbalizing it, which, mm -hmm. is, which is really, you know, a very cool way to sort of energize people around really having a clear understanding of what that numerical mm -hmm. goal is. But then clearly the tool sets and data wise are going to be how we're not only going to monitor that, but we're also going to figure out where we're kind of hitting road bumps along the mm -hmm. way or speed bumps. So you mentioned the benchmarks, right? So now we're able to check against sort of that pre-state of the students to where they're currently at. 
Um, and then you also mentioned the walkthroughs. So I'd like to drill down on the walkthroughs just mm -hmm. a little bit because um, I know walkthroughs are a common practice and I've been involved with them in several districts and I've seen them be both effective and ineffective. Mm -hmm. And so from my perception, when they're ineffective is when it's just adults going through a room looking at what's going on, mm -hmm. right? So you're just basically staring at kids and a, and, and a teacher and trying to figure out what's going on. Um, even when you get into, you know, you're using specific look fors to a particular tool set that you're using, sometimes they're not specific enough. But I heard you share um, that you've got some rubric items that you're specifically mm -hmm. looking for. So can we talk a little bit more about um, those rubric items and then why those particular items? Why are those the things that we're focusing on at this time as we do those mm -hmm. walkthroughs? That's a great question. And I want to share with everybody what we've been doing because you've been seeing myself, Dr. Pombo, who you don't know, coming through classrooms and wondering probably what we're looking for and what's going on. So I just want to share what we what happens when we come on campus. So when I'm there with our coordinators or with Dr. Dr. Dupin, we first meet with the instructional team. So we meet with the school principal, the assistant principal, the instructional coach, and the effective school coaches. And we ask what the school is working on. What are your um, your IEP goals for your school uh, that you determined last year based on your data that you looked at from the um, CNA and other data sources that each school used? And so we go through the classroom looking for those items that the, that the school leaders had shared with us that the school's working on. And we also just look for some general what is good instruction. And that's what our, we developed our rubric. And I'm going to get to that in a mm -hmm. second. So uh, we go through the classroom and then uh, we do set some norms before we go in because we know it's nerve wracking to have this huge group of people come into your classroom and they're um, examining instruction. And we're really looking at what are the students learning? Um, and we want to make sure that we understand what they're learning why they're learning it and how they're going to show that they learned it. So that's what we're asking the students and that's what we're looking for um, in the classroom. One of the first norms that we have is when we go into the classroom, we do, do not want to disturb the learning environment. So we go into a spot where we're in the back of the room and we won't disrupt the learning or ask the students the questions, what they're learning, why, or how they're going to show their learning until the teacher is not teaching. So it's during a time that students are working independently or in groups. We also make sure that all the evidence that we're documenting is evidence-based. There's no opinion, so it's just what we see in the classroom. And then after the learning walks, we always go to a quiet place to discuss the learning, and it's a learning conversation. We're also making sure that we are all seeing the same thing, so we go into classrooms that we are looking for an effective instruction with the same criteria. And then we just determine an area that we saw that was really effective. And then we also determine an area that we maybe need to revisit or look at strengthening in our classrooms. Those norms sound like a powerful tool set because it is important when you enter the classroom that you're not disrupting the learning that you're trying to observe. So mm -hmm. I appreciate you sharing that, that with us. Um, and just to kind of before we roll back to the, to the original sort of prompt, which was about the rubric itself, wh where did these norms come from? Because this sound, these sound like very sort of classroom and teacher-friendly mm -hmm. norms. So how were they developed? So the norms were developed 
from teachers. So they had told the leadership team that they feel uncomfortable sometimes when we're walking into classrooms. So we asked them what would make them feel comfortable. And so they talked about don't disrupt my instruction, which we won't. The other Mm -hmm. one that I sometimes break, and I don't mean to because I forgot to share in the beginning, I'm hearing impaired, Mm -hmm. is to not talk to somebody else in the classroom, another observer in the back of the room, because that comes across as being rude to the teacher and to the students learning. Right. Um, and so that's one of our norms too, is not to disrupt by talking to another observer. So you will not see us doing that in the classroom. Um, and it was developed because we wanted to make teachers feel comfortable because this is a learning experience for all of us, not just for the teachers, but for us as leaders of what we're looking for together to in the classroom for effective instruction. And finally, one thing I forgot to say in the norms that teacher ask, teachers have asked for is a note or feedback. And so we do want to give feedback right away to our teachers um, and leave a note when we leave the classrooms. So that's how they were developed. That's great because one of the things that I've been taught many times over the years is that feedback is at its most effective when it's specific and timely, right? Mm -hmm. So you're giving them both specific and timely feedback and clearly responding to their needs, you know, as, as you're getting this input from the teachers themselves to set them up to be in a place that you're able to then get a good measure off of the rubric, right? Mm-hmm. Cuz you're not you're not looking to to catch someone doing something they're not supposed to be doing. Yes. You're looking to see under you know these sort of test circumstances how close are we to the ideals of the rubric we've mm-hmm. set. So, which is probably a perfect segue into what, yes. what is the rubric looking yes. for? Yes. So, I want to share with you how the rubric was developed. Great. So after this first semester of going to all of our nine or 10 schools, our online school as well, um, every school had a different rubric of how to measure instruction. All of them were um, off of the Danielson framework, but all were developed in a different way and measured things a little bit differently. So as the instructional team with the school leader and the assistant principal and the coaches, we asked everyone to give us our walkthrough, their walkthrough forms. And over fall break, we asked anyone who wanted to volunteer, and it was mostly our curriculum department. We spent three days developing the rubric, uh, looking at everybody's rubric from all the schools, and also looking at the trends we noticed the first um, semester or first quarter. And during with those trends, we noticed the same thing for all of our schools that were very effective, and then also or not schools but classrooms that had some effective instruction. And then we also looked at the Danielson rubric, and also looked at some other research and books to see what we wanted to look at based on our IEP goals and each school's individual IEP goals. So from that was developed a district. Um, walkthrough tool and it has several components but the main one the first one was we have that we measure is under planning and preparation on the Danielson rubric and it's our curriculum resources and what we decided to do is at the very top of each section we put the success criteria for that indicator and then we have a rubric that is one through four so we can see how close we are to meeting all of the components of the success criteria for that one area so for example under planning instruction the first one we're looking at is the curriculum is the curriculum being used in the classroom that we have um, purchased over the years and as you know we're getting a new one this year we're working on the science curriculum so that's the first thing we look at is how is the curriculum being used and the curriculum resources that we have on our curriculum website Then the next area that we're looking at is the student learning environment from the Danielson framework. And the student learning environment, we're really looking at the physical environment for the first part 
and make and checking to see that it is a place where students can interact with each other and the teacher can in easily interact with students but also looking for an environment where there's evidence of learning in a print writ print rich environment where we can see word walls grammar walls um, anchor charts that the students and the teacher develop together that students can reference during their learning and then also looking for standard-based student work around the classroom so that's one area that we're looking for the environment and then another um, section is the very famous learning targets and success criteria so we're looking for learning targets in one area and then also success criteria and it's not just posted on the board but also the students know what they're learning why and how and can um, express that to obviously um, to the observer but also they understand it themselves as learners and then the very last section that we're looking at is engagement, which includes rigorous learning. And so we have the criteria for each one of these areas on the rubric. So our teams will be sharing this with school um, for this next quarter with our instructional teams. That's wonderful. I mean, it's nice that the instructional teams know what that rubric is, but um, it sounds like the components of that rubric are are the conditions for student success at a mm -hmm. baseline level being set up in the classroom? Mm -hmm. So, and, and having students involved in their learning process, having them have the ability to have sort of that metacognition of what am I doing right now and why am I doing it? And what is the outcome supposed to be? And how do I know whether I'm doing it well? Mm -hmm. um, a really powerful learning tool. So I think it's awesome that that's all part of the criteria and the rubric and the walkthrough uh, documentation that you're using. So um, it sounds like the walkthroughs are s set up to be teacher friendly, but at the same time also rigorous. So that, yes. I think that's a nice combination. Mm -hmm. um, so moving from here, we go, I would assume we would move on into phase three, right? Mm -hmm. So so we're not there yet, clearly, because we're still in phase two. Yes. But looking ahead, what can people expect the experience will be with phase three? What will the activities be that happen during that phase? The, the, the phase three is the action stage. So we've been you know, gathering data, doing the instructional walkthroughs, looking at our benchmark data. Um, we determine what we're looking for specifically with instruction. So now it's um, acting and acting would be like, how do we support our students and our instructional staff with those two goals, the 10% growth and improving instruction. And so now that we have our tools that we're measuring that with the benchmark assessments, and now we just created this um, rubric or walkthrough tool that we're using district-wide, we'll begin using that. And then once we start um, going through classrooms again and looking at our benchmark assessments, that's when we'll make specific action plans. And those action plans will include how are we going to check in on the progress of these um, action plans. So for students, that might be simple, something simple like the students are not um, getting two-digit by two-digit um, on the assessment. So we might need to address that with, it could be training with the teachers of, of what they need to help uh, support that learning, or it might just be more practice with that and implementing more um, time with students in small group with um, two digit by two digit. Right. And then the other goal that we're working on improving instruction, we'll continue to do the walkthrough information, uh, walkthrough visits, but with the schools, they'll be giving feedback and working with instructional staff uh, to improve instruction and obviously highlight the things that we're doing that are really going well in the classroom. 
And then the last part of that act phase is adjusting. Like, do we need to change anything um, that's not working based on our action plan that we implemented? So that's mainly going to be happening probably in this the third quarter because we're still gathering data, learning from each other, getting everyone's feedback. And so that act phase will begin hopefully in January. Wonderful. So mm -hmm. get back fresh from winter break and yes. time time to get some action going. But you but we have all the uh, information that we need in order mm -hmm. to determine what those actions need to be at that that point in time with plenty of time um, to have like almost a, a full mm -hmm. quarter, maybe a little bit more than a full quarter uh, to get that implemented and, and get that support in there for students before the standardized testing comes around. Yes. So, um, so this is kind of my last question <laughs> and this is the thing I always wonder about when we you know, go about implementing a process like this. It's it's clearly a cycle, right? That's mm -hmm. why we have the three phases. So after phase three, and you know, we go through the testing and all of that. Do we pick up again with phase one? Is it just like an ongoing repeating cycle where you know, sort of that lather, rinse, repeat, yes. for lack of a better term? Yes. Or does there become a blending of phases as we move forward because we're at various points with various things we're working on? That's a very good question. So the phase one, which is engaging in collaborative work as a team, that is constant through all of the um, all these steps that we're going through because this is something that we're doing together as a collaborative team. Just like I shared when we created the rubric, that wasn't just one person. It was done through all the school's feedback of their walkthroughs and all of us together. Um, so that collaboration part is constant throughout the process. But phase two, where we're looking at data, that will be repeated in phase three, coming with a new action plan. But that first phase of developing and keeping that strong team of working together towards our goals is throughout the whole process. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. No, it's, it sounds like a, a wonderful process. So, mm -hmm. um, okay. So final question for you today is, is if there was one additional thing you could share with us about the DataWise process, um, what would you like that to be? Um, well, there's one thing that I forgot to okay. mention, which is basically the foundation of it, is that the DataWise process, they call something ACE Habits of Mind. And okay. we bring this back every single time we meet with the school leaders or instructional coaches, is that it's a shared commitment to action, assessment, and adjustment. Basically, those three phases. Right. And so the A stands for action. The second part, uh, the C, is collaboration. So intentional collaboration. We're planning for collaboration and we're making sure we have opportunities for collaboration throughout the process. And the last one, the ACE habits of mind is evidence, which is the E and ACE, which relentless focus on evidence, not opinions, but the evidence that we're gathering from our benchmark and uh, instructional walkthroughs. And so ACE habits of mind is a foundation of the data wise process. It sounds like the ACE habits of mind are really kind of critical for us to keep in mind. Uh, so that way we sort of stay on track with the things we're trying to do. Like collaboration really spoke to me because mm -hmm. I know there's collaboration with your team, with the schools to set all the goals and whatnot. But when we think about this process, it's really intended to be a collaboration with our teachers mm -hmm. and our leadership. It's bringing mm -hmm. everyone together working together to focus on learning. And the concept behind it is really, how do we support our teachers? We know mm -hmm. that they are working hard and they're doing their best to do things for kids. And so we wanna be there to support them with that. So, so that collaboration piece, clearly very important. 
But so is that evidence piece. That evidence piece is what keeps us away from making assumptions about what's happening in the classroom. But it also, like, I think one of the really powerful things about it, and I think we may have talked about this in some of the other podcasts, is we're not looking to blame anyone. When something goes wrong or something isn't exactly the way we want it to be, we're not assessing blame on somebody. What we're trying to do is take whatever's happening um, you gave the example of the the two by twos, right? Like if that two by two instruction's not sticking, mm-hmm. it's not someone's fault. What we need to do is look at the evidence. Why isn't it sticking? And mm-hmm. figure out together how can we make it stick. So mm-hmm. it it kind of gives us sort of this dispassionate view, um, which is very supportive of our teachers and our learners together. Um, so I think that's really pretty powerful for us. And I just, I appreciate you actually closing with the ACE Habits of Mind because mm-hmm. it kind of leaves that fresh in our minds as we close for today. And you've been an absolutely wonderful and delightful guest and given us this great information about the DataWise process. And as much as I'm not sure whether you want to come back or not, but I think we <laughs> definitely need to have you back again um, to share more with us about things that are happening with curriculum instruction and assessment in the district. And so thank you so much for the time today. Absolutely. Thank you so much.